There's like that kind of laughter that's just, you know, ha, ha, ha. You know, like you chuckle at something. You're like, and maybe even there's a kind of laughter even before laughter. It's like when your friend says a joke that's not really funny, you know, but you just say that's funny. Has anyone ever done that? I do that all the time. But then I'm talking about like a couple different kinds. So there's another kind of laughter that's like a cynical laughter. Has anyone ever laughed cynically? Like laughed in a way that like it's funny only because of how dark it is, maybe, if anyone's ever laughed that way. Um, maybe you have that kind of sense of humor. I know I do. I can definitely have some dark gallows humor even. Um, but then there's that other kind of laughter, and I'm talking about the kind that makes you cry. You're laughing so hard. Do you know about that kind of laughter? That's like the best kind, right? Isn't that the best kind? I'm talking about the kind where you just don't even know the sounds that you're making. It doesn't even make any sense. What, you're, what you sound like, there's tears, your, your stomach hurts the next day. That's the kind of laughter that I'm talking, right, Lee? Tell me about it, yeah. Oh, it's the best. It's the best. I want you to think about the last time that you laughed like that for a second. Just think about the last time that you laughed like that. The last time that you laughed in a way that was just so over the top, so crazy, so just gut-busting that you just couldn't even hardly move. It was, such, it was such a good time. I know the last time that I laughed like that because it was just a couple weeks ago. I was at a wedding. Their wedding. Hey, guys. They're back. Um, I was at a wedding and we're on the dance floor, right? And everyone's dancing and having a good time and it was great. It was fantastic. And my friend, I won't name him Tyler, um, (laughs) is an incredible dancer. If you ever get the chance to see him dance, you just, you're lucky in your life if you've seen him dance because it's amazing. And I'm going to, he's probably super embarrassed, but I don't even care because it was so awesome. So we're on the dance floor and he develops this move. Have you ever done it before? The salmon? It just came to him. Did you hear what he said? It just came to him. He's on the dance floor. The music is rocking. And it just came to him. This idea of a dance move. And I'm not going to make him do it. I should. I really should try to make him do it. But he probably wouldn't do it. But I will simulate it for you. Okay? And it's going to be very bad. Okay? So just get ready to laugh. So all of a sudden, Tyler puts his hands above his head like this. Like he's got a fit. Like he's a fish. And he just jumps. And he just jumps through the dance floor. Like everyone's dancing. And he just jumps through it. And he calls it the salmon. And everyone rejoiced. And it was a beautiful time. And it got so crazy that he did it once. And people are just like looking at him kind of. You know, like I am laughing. My stomach hurts. I'm laughing so hard. Um, But the second time he does it, or maybe the third or the hundredth. I don't remember how many times he did it. But one of the times he did it, people... It formed a train. It was a train. It was a salmon train. And you wonder, like, you're a pastor. Why are you talking about this? Because it's wonderful. And because I was laughing so, so hard. I want you to think about the kinds of laughter in your life. I want you to think about the dark, cynical laughter in your life. And I want you to think about that gut-busting, just roll-on-the-floor laughter. I don't know about you, but if you come to a church gathering or, like, a Bible story... There's this, maybe this sense that we would have to be super serious, you know, about a Bible story or about the Bible. Like, we got to take it really, really seriously, and we do take it seriously. But in this text, there's actually a lot of laughter, and it's laughter of both kinds. So I want you to think about that as we kind of jump into God's Word today. Before we get started, I want to just ask you a question. Is there anything in your life that seems impossible right now? Anything in your life that seems impossible. And I want you to think, not like, hey, can I lift this truck over my head? Impossible. That's not the kind of, though maybe that's, I don't know, maybe you're in your backyard just trying that. But some of us have 
maybe physical goals that seem impossible, right? Some of us have like emotional stuff that seems impossible. Maybe stuff like this, like it's impossible to forgive that person. Or it's impossible for me to live with that person. Can I get a witness, right? It's impossible for me to love and serve that person. I want you to think about those impossibilities. The kind of impossibility that if I told you, hey, check this out, by this time next year, that person, you're going to be in a relationship with them and you're going to have forgiven them. And I want you to think about the laughter that would come, that cynical laughter of like, are you kidding me? That kind of laughter. And then I want you to think about the laughter of the impossible things that might happen in your life if we just let them or if we're open to them. So why don't we bow our heads and close our eyes? Why don't you do that for just a second to get quiet, to take some time to be with God? Even just to breathe. I know we got people from all over the map in here, so whatever creed or tradition you come from, it's always good to just breathe, to get quiet, and to reflect. So here's a question for you. What's impossible? What's impossible? What's the thing that if I said it, you would laugh? Not the good kind of laughter, but the cynical kind. What's impossible? Maybe just, just think about that for a second. And maybe if you want to be so bold and whatever words make sense to you inside your head, just pray, hey, God, would you, would you make the impossible possible? I want to trust you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. And thank you for my friends at OU here with us and just all of us together here as a big happy family, singing songs and later eating and just hanging out and being together. God, we thank you for the ways that you're moving in our lives and you're encouraging us to believe that the impossible might be possible, that the situations that we feel like have no hope might actually have some hope. God, I pray that you give us faith today, faith in your son Jesus, faith in, faith in the ability for us to take a step in a, in a, in a direction that believes and in, in a direction that, that might have some faith. And we pray that you do that for us, that you move in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to be in Genesis. We're in chapter 18. Let's check it out together. Uh, it says this, The Lord appeared to him, this is to Abraham, by the oaks of Mamre, while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. So this is a really weird passage because the Bible says that God showed up to Abraham, and then it says this in the next verse. So check out the next verse. Abraham looked up, and he saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. So immediately we have a question, right? So the Bible says that God showed up to Abraham. And then in the very next verse, it says he looked up and he sees three men. This is weird. So did he see like three men or did he see God? The answer is yes. I don't like it's a very mysterious, strange type of passage. People have been arguing about this for thousands of years. Who are these three and what does this mean? Some people in the Christian tradition have said this stands for the Trinity in some way. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. That this is who Abraham sees. But in the text we see that God is spirit and no one can see God and live. So like we don't, we don't really know exactly what he's seeing. Some people think there are three angels that speak for God. Maybe that's the most poss- plausible thing that he sees. But in any event, we look in the text and we see a mysterious thing here. Look at verse 3. Check it out. He said, If I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought 
and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. Then you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered, do as you say. So Abraham sees these three, whoever they are, right? It's the Lord, it's God somehow talking to them. And he's like, hey, I want to be hospitable. I want to treat them in a good way because somehow something incredible is about to happen, you know? So he says, hey, come in, sit down, let's have, let's, have some, let's have a meal together. Let's be together, let's have a good time, let's be hospitable. It's good, good, good thing that Abraham does this. And look at verse 6. Abraham went quickly, hurried to, into the tent to Sarah. So he's outside the tent, he hurries into his wife Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sias of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. And Abraham, then he, then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. So there's a lot of hurry, hurried action here. He's trying to get it going. He wants to make sure that he can feed them before they leave. What happens next? Then he brought some curds and milk. I don't know, like ancient cottage cheese, if you will, you know, because that's a thing that you would give to your guests. And he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set these before him. So it's a nice meal. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. Okay, so these people come, God comes to Abraham. What's going to happen? Who, what's going to happen? There's this incredible moment where God is with Abraham. God has said things to Abraham before. He's given him a promise. He said, your life is going somewhere. Your, your life is going to tell a story. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless everyone on the planet, even these people right here in this room, through what you do and what your life is like, Abraham. And he had said that over and over and over again to, to Abraham. And now he's here talking again. So what's going to happen? Let's check it out in verse 9. They say, where is your wife Sarah? There in the tent, he said. The Lord said. So one of them said. And in, the other, in other translations, it says here that the Lord said to him. So here's an interesting question. Do they give the message to Abraham in this text? No, where, they say, where is your wife? I want to talk to Sarah because Sarah is going to have this vital, vital place in the story of God. She's supposed to have a baby, but here's the problem. She's old and barren and she can't have babies. So it's a really, really big problem. So what's going to happen? Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Now, Abraham, so sorry, look at verse 11. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. The text has told us this in Genesis, that she is lifeless. That's what barren means. It means she can't have any children. She's lifeless. There's no life going to be coming from Sarah in terms of like what they can see and what they can understand. This is a lifeless, barren situation. So remember what I, when I asked you at the beginning, like, what's an impossible situation? What seems hopeless? What seems like too far gone? What seems like a lifeless situation in your world and in your life and in your relationships? God comes to Sarah and Abraham in a lifeless place. They're in a lifeless, barren place. All right, so check this out. So Sarah laughed to herself. She laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out, and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? So here we have laughter in the text, right? And this is not like Tyler on the dance floor salmoning through the dance floor laughter. This is that cynical, bitter, right? Maybe you can identify with this. 
This is that, that dark laughter. Sarah laughs because it's impossible. Sarah laughs because it's a lifeless situation. She laughs because it doesn't make any sense that she would have a baby. Again, what is it that when I tell you to think of a hopeless place, of an impossible place, do you think to yourself and laugh, thinking, how in the world could God ever do something about this? How in the world could this situation ever turn out for good? She says, she just laughs to herself. Look at the next verse here. Then the Lord said to, said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? And then here's the kicker right here. Is anything too hard for the Lord? What a question, right? What a question to fall like a ton of bricks on Abraham and Sarah and you and me. Is anything impossible? Is anything too hard? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. And then Sarah does what we do, right? But Sarah was afraid. So she lied and said, I did not laugh. But he said, yes, you did laugh. It's a weird, awkward moment where Sarah's arguing. No, I didn't. Yes, yeah, yeah, you did. No, I, no, I did. Yeah, you did. You did. Like, it's important. It's important that she knows that she laughs. Because in her laughter, right, her real feelings are exposed, right? In her laughter, her bitterness and her cynicism and the impossibility of the situation are what comes out in that laughter. Please notice that God doesn't condemn her for laughing, does he? He doesn't say, hey, you, you dirty sinner, why are you laughing at me? He doesn't say any of that. But he wants her to know what she's feeling. And she needs to know that she thinks it's impossible. So do we, by the way. Just as a real quick aside, Sarah, in the text, she's not the first person to laugh at this. Historically, when you ask people, like, who, who laughed at God in Abraham and Sarah's story? They say, Sarah, right? They say, Sarah, well, like two chapters before, Abraham laughed. So he thought it was funny too. He thought it was hilarious that God would suggest that they were ever going to have a baby because it was an impossible situation, okay? So now let's fast forward to about a year later, a little less than a year later, nine months, ten months later, right? In Genesis 21, let's check it out. In Genesis 21, what's that? He, it was, yeah. Yeah, we're talking about Sarah. And she's going to have a baby here. Let's check it out. Check it out. And it says in Genesis 21, verse 1, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Look at verse 2. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, and in hers, by the way, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham called the name Isaac to the son of Sarah bore him. Now, what do you think the name Isaac means? It means laughter. It means laughter. What, what would you think about if your name was laughter because your mom laughed when she was told that she was going to have a baby? You know, like what if that was your story that when your mom was told she was going to have a baby, she laughed and not like the happy kind of laughter, like the cynical, dark kind of laughter, and that ended up being your name. Well, that's not the end of the story, and that's not exactly why his name's Isaac. Let's check it out in verse 4. When, Isaac, when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Look at verse 5. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, this is what she says, God has brought me laughter. 
And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. (laughs) Not at me, but with me. They will laugh with me because this is such a happy, ridiculous thing that happened in my life. That I laughed before in cynicism and bitterness. And now I laugh in just complete and total exuberance and joy, right? God turned her mourning and sorrow and barrenness. He turned her lifelessness into life and joy. It is incredible. Look at her question. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I've borne him a son in, my old, in his old age. Notice she doesn't say that she's old, even though she's very old. Of course, right, ladies? Like, of course she wouldn't say that. But she, but she is old. She's about 10 years younger than him. But she is old and should never have any business having children based on what the circumstances are. But here she is with a baby nursing a son at 90 years old. Can you imagine? I don't want to imagine. But, like, if you, like this is an incredible situation. This is an incredible situation. The Bible says that God can turn mourning into dancing. That he can turn sorrow into joy. Later on in the New Testament, God, uh, Jesus will say this. He'll, Jesus will speak to his people and he'll say, with, with people, this is impossible, right? With people, life and health and peace, us taking the right steps, making the right decisions, doing the things that's going to increase life and joy in our life. Like we're going to mess up over and over. It's impossible. It's impossible. But with God, he says, all things are possible. Anything is possible. And this is the power of the scripture that speaks to us. That when we're in a lifeless place, when we're in a place where we're just broken with cynicism and we're laughing for all the dark, bitter reasons... God can come and upend that. And he can give us laughter of a different kind. Now, I want to say before we go to prayer and before we go to reflection, that does this mean that God's just going to fix everything? That, does, this, does this mean that God's just going to give a baby to every barren person out there? This is not what this means. This is not the kind of thing that the scriptures promise us. In fact, the way of Jesus is a way that has suffering on it and has heartache on it. But God always promises us, God will always promise us that he'll be right there, that he'll be with us. That when it's impossible, when it seems like there's no hope, he's still there. 